0: Welcome to episode number 51 of the Marine Layer Podcast. We have on Jolly Olive of John Boy Media. We talked to him a little bit about the Met Series this upcoming weekend, making his YouTube channel, and his time at John Boy. We'll dive into the Mariners haven't played this well since when? And we'll also make a case for Luis Castillo for the Cy Young.
1: Before we start the episode, a reminder to you guys that if you're listening on our audio platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, go download our episodes, go hit us with the follow, rate us and give us that five-star review, those downloads and the reviews, they help us big time guys, so just do us that short little favor. And then on the video side, you can head over to YouTube, watch us on that platform as well. You can subscribe, like, comment, turn the notification bells on, again all that stuff helps us out big time as well. And then on social media, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube Shorts at Marine Layer Pod.
0: Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network. Recording here on Monday, August twenty eighth, and Lal, I'm just going to say to you what I've been saying all weekend while watching Mariners baseball giddy happy i've just been saying holy shit dude i cannot believe this what
1: if i had told you a month ago the mariners were going to be in first place in the al west
0: i would say you're full of shit but something i didn't realize that i've recently learned that the rangers haven't even converted half their saves if you told me that fact as well then i'd be like well that might make a little bit more sense but that would also require the mariners playing absurdly good baseball which they have been so it takes two to tango
1: and both at the same time i mean shout out our friend jordan schusterman i thought he had a banger of a tweet this week when the mariners took over the division he said how to lose a division in 10 days and it's a screenshot of the mariners going nine and one in their last 10 and the rangers going one and nine in their last 10
0: it it almost never happens between two teams directly next to each other in the standings that there is nine games made up in 10 days. Like, that does not happen. That, that does not happen. What we are seeing is historic. So, soak it in.
1: Teams do not make up ground that fast. When you see a team that's that far out of it, it takes a lot of time to build your way back up into that division. It really does. The fact that it's happened this fast, I mean, you said soak it in. Seriously do, because we may never see a quicker turnaround ever again.
0: How do you feel about this, Lyle? I'm about to propose something to you that was, was sort of shown this weekend that I really honestly didn't fathom until it actually happened. Do you realize that in the history of the MLB app on an iPhone, the Mariners passed, say, mid-April, I'll, we'll say end of April, Have never occupied the number one spot in the division in the history of the MLB app. Where I pull it up right now and I open my MLB app and I open standings and I pull it up and I see Seattle Mariners at number one in the American League West. Do you realize that is? Like, never happened. <laughs> never happened. <laughs> look, look, this this has never happened in this app's history. Not in August, not in June, not in July. Like, what is this?
1: He went full LeBron on that. Not one, not two, not three. Watch us on YouTube, by the way, if you want to see TJ put his yeah, phone
0: right... You, yeah, there we go. Right and it's backwards, too, for all of you on, uh, on YouTube, so decipher that.
1: I feel like I've been using the MLB app forever now, at least since my freshman year of high school. I can't even really remember a time where I wasn't using it. Do you know what year it got created? I couldn't tell you.
0: No, but uh, we're seeing some history on it. History. They should get like a pardon for it, honestly. They should make some shirts. MLB should make some shirts for it. And the real thing that hit home the other day was like, okay, so the last time the Mariners were in first place... This late in the season, what was it, August twenty sixth? Well, August twenty sixth, oh three, right? I think that was the date.
1: It was two thousand three.
0: Yeah, and I'm thinking about and thinking about that, and like where I was, and I realized I had not even started pre. No, actually, no, I had to be a year pre. No, I hadn't started kindergarten yet. Think about it would have
1: it would have been like a week before our first days of kindergarten.
0: Right. So I I had not stepped foot in Salmon Bay Middle School where I'd stayed for. How many years? Eight years. It's fucking insane. (laughs) Oh, that's kind of weird. That is kind of weird. I think our storylines today, as we transition to our Mariners storylines, kind of highlight this. And I will just propose this question to you. This is the best the Mariners, this stretch that the Mariners are currently on. This is the best they have played since when? 2001? Probably. (laughs) Probably I mean this stre- this current thirty game stretch they're on is historic. Think about this. This is from Optostats on Twitter. The Mariners were thirty eight and forty two entering July, and since uh, I think this was as of Sunday, they're thirty six and fourteen. That is the best winning percentage by any American league team in their first fifty games after entering the month of July under five hundred ever.
1: That's ridiculous. I mean, look, when they won 14 in a row last year, that was electric. But when you look at the season as a whole, there was that 14-game win streak, and then there was a lot of hills and valleys in the season, similar to 2023, although it didn't take as long last year. They did not start hot out of the gate. I mean, they were 10 under five hundred at one point. It might have been more doom and gloom in 22 than it was in 23 before they really turned it around. But this stretch we're seeing right now, we talked about it over text this weekend. We said this is the best the team has ever played in our lifetime. And that might be true. The 14-game win streak was great last year. But this prolonged stretch where they are just dismantling every opponent they play, nearly every opponent, is the best we've ever seen
0: them play. Ace hanging within a run tonight.
1: I don't know, at the time of recording, JP already hit a home run, so we'll see. And man...
0: Oh, he did? <laughs> I didn't even check. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I. we were joking before we started recording. It's like, man, who's on the mound for the A's tonight? Oh, it's Kyle Muller. It's like, let's see what a savant page looks like. It's like, oh, so he's a lefty version of Jordan Lyles? It
1: looks like the cool blue Gatorade. That's what his savant page looks like. Not the Glacier Freeze, the good Gatorade flavor. No, it's the dark Gatorade flavor. In other words, the dark blue Gatorade flavor, meaning he has not been good. He gets hit incredibly hard. He does not get a lot of chase. He's he's had a bad year. How else can we say it?
0: Do you want another tidbit on this historic Mariner stretch? This is from Sarah Lang's. They're the first team in the month of August or later to have multiple eight-game win streaks in a calendar month since the Orioles in August of 1980.
1: There's so many historical traits about this team right now. We headlined all of Julio's historical records that he shattered last week. Now it's the team as a whole. Everybody is just mashing right now, and we've talked about that's the whole difference in the turnaround. It's been the offense. It was never a problem of the pitching. It's been the offense. Look at this team now. They have 10 qualified hitters with a WRC plus of 105 or better. Oh, by the way, that does not include my guy, Demo, who has a 145 WRC plus still and more. So you're talking about 11 guys currently positioned on this roster that are above average hitters. How long have we talked about the offense being a problem over the last three years? Because right now it's far from it.
0: And how long did we just... Yearn back in May for the Atlanta Braves' office offense, in which the Mariners now have quite literally turned into the American League version of the Atlanta Braves. This current offense, with the way they're hitting, like that's what they do. <laughs> Go look at the stats. I mean, they're very similar. We highlighted it last week, but when you say ten guys with a WRC plus above one hundred and five, like that's the Braves' major strength is that they don't have any weak spots in their lineup. Mariners are the same way now. It's crazy. Everybody is
1: hitting. Even Josh Rojas, who is not at 105 for the season because he had such a tough start in Arizona. We've talked about him at length over the last week or so now. He has been awesome. He stayed hot this weekend against the Royals. He hit another homer. He didn't hit any any
0: homers in Arizona this year. Here's some more context for you. I mean, we're just throwing out stats, but there's so many fun stats about it. I just want to, I'm just going to keep reading. Our, Our friend Michael Fisher, friend of the podcast, runs the Codify account on Twitter. So over the Mariners last 35 games, he says they're 27 and eight of those eight losses, the Mariners lost them by a grand total of 10 combined runs, 10 combined runs. And if we think about this current stretch where the Mariners had two, eight game win streaks, and in those, around those two, eight game win streaks, there were four losses. Three of them were in extra innings and one was a blown ninth inning lead. (laughs) Like it's still, it's still relevant. With a win tonight, the Mariners will match their franchise mark in August of 2001 with a 20-5 and record. And you would assume because all three of these games against the A's are in the month of August. Now, I told you before this series started, the Mariners better sweep this series and win every game by five runs because the way they're playing right now, that's the only way that's acceptable. But the absolute worst case scenario... Right now, as it seems, is the Mariners end this month twenty one and six in August instead of franchise record for wins in a month. That's kind of bonkers. For as good as July was, I mean, they're going to do more. They're going to do better in August.
1: What a ridiculous month. Just, I mean, this team is so hot. Look at some more of the numbers. I know we're kind of going down with the numbers here and reading off a bunch of them. But since July 1st, Luke Arkins put out a tweet about this. The Mariners are scoring the second most runs per game in the league. They are allowing the least amount of runs per game. They have the highest run differential in that time. Also, their run differential for the season is now 101. It, that's fifth in baseball. And this is an offense that did not hit for three months.
0: Do, do you want some some more context on that offense? This is another one from OptoStats, a really underrated follow, by the way. They have this orange and grayish profile picture, if you're curious. They do sports on, stats on all sports, but their baseball ones are great. And they, they've been all over this Mariners win streak. On this Mariners offense, this was during their second eight-game win streak. And this was seven games into it. During that stretch, the Mariners had 93 hits, 39 extra base hits, 17 home runs, and 13 stolen base moves. No other team in Major League history has reached all those numbers over a seven-game span. I couldn't believe that when I saw it. I'm like, there's no way, but apparently that's true?
1: Credit all these bats. We've talked about Julio being hot. It's not a Well, it was a storyline on Friday, but let's just continue it here. Tay Oscar stays hot. He is by definition on a heater. Why everything he's doing right now, everybody's hot. Everybody's Uh, swinging it
0: well. JP, I mean, JP is now past the entire shortstop crop, essentially. There is not one
1: hitter that is currently on the roster who comes to the plate, and I have it not in my stomach. Nobody. There's nobody that comes up to the plate right now where I say, yeah, I don't really want him up there. I am okay with every single guy being up there.
0: Yeah, I am too. It's, man, this is magical. Now they got to keep going through September because as we've mentioned, we, we said, we sat here and we said, okay, the Mariners need to be three games into a playoff spot by the time they get through this weekend. Well, they're right now currently three games into a playoff spot. I believe they're three games ahead of the first team out of the wild card. If, if I'm correct, so that they're they are where they are right now and we expect with a series against the A's and a series against the Mets this weekend that's going to grow whether they stay in the division lead or not we're expecting them to be more than 3 games up in a in a playoff spot. So now they got to hold it. Right? They're not going to get a soft August to continue. September's coming along and I'm really not looking forward to them playing the Dodgers. By the way, the only team better than them over the last 25 games the Dodgers. I, I didn't even realize that that really kind of flew under the radar. I look up, I'm like, oh, the Mariners are the best team in the league right now. Look at how Dodgers are, oh, 21-4 in their last 25 games.
1: Hmm. Which is funny because their roster on paper does not feel anywhere close to as good as it's been in previous years, but here they are. You know, if if you look at the Mariners' schedule, before they truly hit that gauntlet, we talked about after the Mets weekend is when it starts to get tough. There are some games in that next stretch of nine that they should win. They get the Reds, who are good and competing for an NL playoff spot. They're not a better team than the Mariners. They play the Rays, who we know are much depleted right now. And then they play the Angels. So that is a stretch where it's not easy, but they should come out on top in terms of win-loss record over that period of games before the real tough schedule starts. But yes, they should be in this week of games between the A's and Mets, 5-1. and one, And then they should be above 500 in that stretch against the Rays, Reds, and Angels before the true gauntlet of the schedule hits to end the year.
0: Yeah, I concur with you on that. It's going to be interesting how they see these next weeks going. Like Julio said, which I thought was a, a really interesting quote and one I feel pretty confident in, he said he doesn't even feel like the team is hot, right? He just feels like they're playing up to their standard. Now, that could just be player speak. I'd say some of it is they're they're hot. Like you don't win all these games without being hot and doing everything correct. And part of being hot is everyone playing well at the exact same time, which doesn't always happen. But I'm curious to see, you know, how much is like momentum actually a factor? I'm personally not even really a big believer in momentum. I think momentum is only as much as something you can uh, as something you can execute yourself. Because like for example, yesterday's results won't win you the game tomorrow, or. Today, say get my days mixed up, but that like that's kind of the point, right? So like, if my theory is true, and they're just like, oh, we're shit, we're just going to keep playing well because we keep believing in ourselves, and it's nothing to do with momentum. It's just that they feel like they're finally at a point where they can all execute at the same time, and they all feel comfortable with it. And then you keep rolling, and you keep winning, and all of a sudden, maybe they take three or four from the Rays and take a series from the Dodgers, and then beat up on the Reds and the and the Angels. So it's possible.
1: You can't quantify momentum, which is a fair take that you don't think it's really a thing. I'm sure players believe it's a real thing. I'm sure people in that clubhouse believe it's a real thing. But, yeah, you can't quantify it. So I think it's more the fact of everybody's just playing well right now.
0: Can't complain. Can't complain. They just got to keep mashing, and the starting pitch needs to stay healthy as well. Before
1: we get to our second storyline here, quick word. From our friends at Simply Seattle, they have the best Seattle sports apparel in the game. You guys, if you are interested in Simply Seattle clothing, make sure to go check out and shop over at Simply Seattle. It really is the best place to get all your Mariners gear. Angels week's coming up. Otani's going to be in town. Go get your come to Seattle shirts before he arrives because they're on the Simply Seattle website. They're promoting them. They're selling them. I want one. I know I'm going to get one. So go get yours right now. Go get all your Simply Seattle stuff right now. There's a ton of Mariner stuff on that website, and it's all really cool. If you're interested in doing that, make sure to use code MARINE15 to get 15% off of your purchase. Purchase Again, that's MARINE15. You get 15% off of your purchase.
0: This fall, stream your favorites and discover more with Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus together. Watch the highly anticipated new season of Loki and see the ghosts materialize in Haunted Mansion on Disney Plus. Catch more frights with The Boogeyman and American Horror Story: Delicate on Hulu, and on ESPN Plus, get into the action with college football and NFL. All of these and more streaming now. Get the Disney bundle with plans starting at nine ninety nine a month. Plans with ESPN Plus starting at $14.99 a month. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Okay,
1: second storyline. Luis Castillo, TJ, has a real shot
0: to win the
1: Cy Young. Not be in contention for it, to win
0: it. And there's a lot of things working in his favor, too. I mean, not only now is he second in the league in ERA, in the American League in ERA. He's now second in innings, so people get the volume they want. He's first in whip. What? I couldn't believe that. I saw that. I was like, it just really doesn't seem like he's allowed fewer base runners per inning than everyone else. But he has. He has. And he's also got something that old voters love, Lyle. He's in first place. I did want to talk about
1: this. Because Garrett Cole, I think we can agree, is the front runner right now, right?
0: Yes, he is the odds on. I have the uh, the odds here if you want to hear them. Garrett Cole's minus. This is from Fanduel. Garrett Cole's a, a minus two hundred and ten, so he's the favorite. Castillo's second at plus three hundred. Gosman's right behind him at plus seven hundred. That's the three that the sports books are, are really liking. Then after that. It's a bit of a drop-off. George Kirby is actually next after that at plus 2,300. But it's really a three-horse race right now in the American League. And if we're looking at situations and we're looking at exposure and we're looking at winning, which we know some voters do actually really like, Castillo's on top of that list.
1: So here's what I was going to pose. You look at the numbers. Garrett Cole leads in F4, in ERA, in XERA, FIP. He's actually got a pretty big lead in B war, F war, it's a little closer. They are tied in strikeouts. Luis, however, has the edge in whip, XFIP, strikeout rate, walk rate. So it is close. And there's a real world where Luis could pass Garrett Cole in a lot of these categories because a lot of them that Cole leads in. Luis is not far behind. If Garrett Cole and the New York Yankees were the team having a surging month of August in first place in their division. And two guys were neck and neck for this race. Who would be the favorite? Oh, it'd be Garrett Cole. Because he's on the Yankees, East Coast, playing out of their minds. It's simple fact. So, shouldn't Luis get the same credit? The fact he is the ace of a team that's the hottest in baseball right now and has a chance to win the AL West. Where Garrett Cole is pitching unmeaningful games and has been for a few weeks now. I don't know. I'm just saying if old voters are big on winning, Luis is winning. Garrett Cole's team
0: isn't. I think instead of asking me that question, you should ask it to John Heyman. I think you'll get a better answer.
1: Oh, you know, John Heyman's voting for Luis Castillo. He's, he's already mailed in his ballot. Oh, Yankee or Mariner. Oh, too easy for him.
0: Yeah. yeah that's a good point. That is a good point. And it's unfortunate because even with Garrett Cole in last place, he might still win. He might just still win. I mean, Again, he's got first first place in a lot of these categories. And for the most part, I mean if you asked any rant, any I would say semi more than casual baseball fan who pays attention to the entire league, who's been the best pitcher in the American League this year, they would probably say Garrett Cole. And they they're not necessarily wrong. So, in that case it's like, well, okay, wouldn't be the end of the world if he won the Cy Young. But the point you make there is, is phenomenal. If if the roles were switched and you flip their stats over too, and it was Garrett Cole on the surging Mariners team or Mariners team, it would be a surging Yankees team. It it, it wouldn't even be close. It wouldn't even be close. But Cy Young or not for Luis Castillo, I mean, we just need to really appreciate what we're seeing from Luis Castillo this season. I mean, even though sometimes in some of these starts, it really doesn't seem like, you know, he's a Cy Young. I mean, to be honest, until, maybe the last few weeks when people have really started pumping out his numbers. If you asked me if Luis Castillo had a real chance of winning the American league Cy Young this year, I'd probably said no, but you look at the numbers overall now. And, and he is, he is. It's, it's fascinating to believe for a stretch. I thought in the middle of the season, which was kind of mediocre at times.
1: In case anybody couldn't hear the sarcasm in my voice a minute ago, there is no chance John Heyman Heyman is voting for Luis Castillo. We actually get into this a little bit with Jolly Olive in our interview today about John Heyman and his hatred for the Mariners. But yeah, he is a guy that will not be voting for Luis Castillo. Anyway, to your point, TJ, three of Luis's last four starts have been as dominant as he's pitched in a Mariners uniform, aside from the playoff start in Toronto. Look at his three outings against the Orioles, the White Sox, and his most recent one against the Royals. In those three starts, He has thrown 20 innings. He's given up eight hits in those 20 innings and those three starts. He has allowed two earned runs, four walks, and 23 punch outs. He has absolutely overpowered these lineups, including a really good Orioles lineup. And that Royal start on Sunday, nobody could touch him.
0: Yeah, and a couple of those starts he's had in that stretch, the Mariners gave him the ball as like, yeah, we have no bullpen left. Good luck. And you know what he's done? He is, as I put, as I labeled it in my notes, I know you love this part, where his ex-dog came out. You know how all the expected stats came out. His ex-dog went into the 100th percentile, and he went out there, and he absolutely shoved. Here's this nugget on Luis. The Mariners were 10 out on July 19th when they played in Minnesota. Since that point, Luis Castillo has gone six innings in all eight of his starts. He's gone seven innings in half of them. That's what you want out of your ace. Even if the run prevention isn't totally down, I mean, you need that guy eating up innings, getting outs and giving you a chance to win. And that's what he's done. And he really only had one blowout start in that stretch. A really strange game down in Anaheim where he gave up seven earned. And the Mariners still won anyway.
1: Is Luis's ex-him in the 100th percentile too?
0: He's him? Yep.
1: Okay. So his ex-dogs in the 100th percentile and his ex-him is the 100th percentile. I think you should put that right in front of every East Coast voter's face and say, How are you not voting for this guy? He's a dog, he's him, and you'll have all these guys in their seventies being like, What is this terminology? It's like it's it's the uh it's the meme of Steve Buscemi with the skateboard and the hat backwards. It's like, how do you do fellow kids? That's what those East Coast writers will be seeing looking at those X numbers.
0: Yeah, how do you think you would explain X him to John Heyman?
1: He's him, John Heyman. Luis is him. He'd be like, yeah, he
0: he is. He is he is But Garrett is. Cole is is my vote.
1: No, he'd be like, yeah, he is – he, he, Luis Castillo, is, is pitching well. It's like, yeah, but John, he's him. You just don't get it, dude. You just don't get it.
0: It's been so cool to see the Mariners' fingerprints on how Luis Castillo has sort of evolved as a pitcher. I didn't even realize this until it was brought up today. Adam Jude wrote an article in the Seattle Times that published today here on Monday – talking about the Mariners attempt at going after the first pitch strike percentage record by the way which they are currently uh, if they were the season were to end today they would have the highest mark of all time passing the 2018 Dodgers as a team this Mariners pitching staff has thrown a first pitch pitch strike 64.4 percent of the time and you know it goes with their philosophy throw first pitch throw a good throw a quality pitch with a first pitch strike every time And Luis Castillo, when he was in Cincinnati, wasn't exactly a guy who had great command. I mean, his last full season he was there in 2021, he walked batters at a 9% clip. Two seasons before that in 2019, which is his best season as a pro so far, he walked batters over 10% of the time. He walked a ton of guys. But now we get here to Seattle in his first full season with the Mariners, and his walk rate is now 5.5%. And as we mentioned earlier, his walks and hits per innings pitch, base runners per inning, is the lowest in baseball. That's a that's a testament to the Mariners organization and to Luis, Luis absorbing that information and executing it out on the field.
1: Should we add in there that George Kirby ranks third in whip and Logan Gilbert ranks fifth? The Mariners have three of the top five pitchers in baseball in whip. And for those who don't look at whip that much, It literally means you are not giving up base runners. Those three guys who would probably be your three starters in a playoff series, do not let guys on base. Simple as that.
0: It's pretty good. and Usually guys score runs by getting on base. When you don't let them get on base, they can't score. So, simple math.
1: Jason Churchill talked about it with us before the start of the season, about the Castillo trade and the extension. He said, he thought the Mariners always internally believed they could get even more out of Luis Castillo than he was showing in Cincinnati at the time that they traded for him. I think we're seeing exactly that. Walks are down, throwing more strikes, still striking guys out. He's done everything well. I mean, he looks so good right now, especially these last few starts where he has been at the top of his game.
0: Now, the big thing for Luis is he's going to need to finish strong. If there's one thing us Mariner fans know about Cy Young voters, there's a hell of a lot of recency bias. If he goes out there and has, even if the Mariners are solidly in a playoff spot, if he goes out there and has a blow-up start the second to last week of the season, and Garrett Cole doesn't, who do you think's getting votes? Yeah.
1: Well, considering Felix to this day should have still won the Cy Young in 2014, but because of one blow-up outing he had toward the end of the year... They yanked it away from him to give it to Corey Kluber.
0: Yeah, that's it, right? So Luis needs to finish strong, which we think he will, but he's also going to have his work cut out for him because this is also going to be one of the toughest stretches of the season. I mean, shit, he might pitch the way the rotation lines up. He might pitch twice against, uh twice, or uh, they'd be twice against the Texas Rangers, which make you earn it. Their lineup is, despite their bullpen, their lineup's still uh still pretty good. So we're going to have to, Keep an eye on that for Luis as we go down the stretch. Before we get to our interview with Jolly Olive, a word from BetterHelp. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless, if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or if you're just a human who lives in this world who is going through a hard time, therapy can give you a tool to approach your life in a very different way. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote. And by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in our description. It's betterhelp.com slash marine layer pod that's better dot com slash marine layer pod clicking that link helps out this podcast but also gets you 10 percent off your first month of better help so you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you and because finding a therapist can be a little difficult you don't have to really fit with that therapist which is a common thing with therapy you can easily switch to a new therapist at no additional cost without stressing about insurance Who's in your network or anything like that? So, if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com/slash marine layer pod. Okay. We had a great conversation with Jack Oliver, otherwise known as Jolly Olive. Good timing with the Mets series coming up this weekend. As we talked with DraftNick Mark earlier in this year, it's a while ago now, but front of the pod, draft Mark talked about some of those storylines between the Mets and the Mariners. Didn't really dive into that quite as much with Jolly, but it's very interesting to learn about his YouTube channel. What's gone wrong with the Mets and working at John boy media, all things I think are a part of a very interesting conversation we've had. And we're glad to finally able to track him down. He
1: was awesome. I will say, I think he might be one of the tamer Mets fans. Is that a, Fair way to put a spin on this. He really knows his stuff. His content is awesome. Really fun to talk to. I would say he has a pretty level head on him about the Mets and where this team's future is headed, where sometimes we know fans in New York aren't exactly like that. I think he had a pretty good perspective on it.
0: Yeah, he did. And we've been trying to track him down for months, to be honest, scheduling and setting up a time. So it's been really nice to finally actually get him on. It was nice. And again, the timing worked out too. And it was also nice... We did meet him at the John Boy Media event they held in Seattle at Optimism Brewing at Capitol Hill during All-Star Week. It was good to get that initial connection there and finally make it happen uh, on the podcast.
1: It was great. It was, when did we start messaging him? Earlier in the year, April, it's May. Like we were to,
0: yeah, it was we were right try- when the season started. We were trying
1: to coordinate schedules, and obviously, he's always doing a bunch of stuff. He's really busy with all the stuff he's doing over at John Boy, and he said, honestly— what if we did this? The Mariners and Mets are going to play first weekend of September. What if we did it a little bit before then? That would be a perfect time to set it up and it would be relevant to both our teams. And we said, great. Saw him at All-Star Week, got to actually meet him a little bit in person, get to talk to him. And then we're like, hey, we still good for that week of September? And he said, sure. End of August. He's like, absolutely. And here we are. We did the interview. He was awesome. Awesome. Tells us a little bit about really what makes John Boy click, what made his channel blow up. He does a bunch of really cool content, and we
0: get into all of it with him here. So let's get you to that interview. Let's hear from Jolly Olive.
1: All right, we've got Jack Oliver on with us. You guys know him much better as Jolly Olive, baseball YouTuber, also of John Boy Media. And maybe a better term would just be the John Boy quiz guy, Jack. Is, is that what <laughs> most people know you as, the trivia guy?
2: A lot of the uh, the new viewers, I think mean, they they got to know me as the, the trivia guru, but I, you know, I'm, a, I'm a man of many, several outlets, I guess. How
0: many hours does someone have to put into Baseball Reference to earn that title?
2: You know, I, I've spent my fair share, probably more than I am proud to admit, but believe it or not, there are people in that office that have spent way more than I have and will know more than I ever will.
0: So what's the trivia ranking in the office?
2: Oh, good question. What a, what a way to start. Um... Well, the great, the beautiful thing about it is that everyone is kind of a specialist in a different game. If you're thinking of the baseball recall game where they count backwards for a certain category, it's obviously Lucas. If you think ref guess, obviously you probably point to Max or even Jake. Is that a lot of wins? Uh, so it varies. You know, the the connect crew is kind of BBD, adult and feely. So I try and cater to everyone's strength so they all get their own spotlight.
1: Now, are you guys allowed to be on Fangraphs in the office or is it just totally prohibited? It's reference only.
2: Oh, no, I, I'm, I'm a big Fangraphs guy. I got my own account and subscription. Big fan of what they do. Um, and, you know, uh, the, one of the beautiful things about uh, baseball stat heads is that each interface kind of offers something different. And if you're into certain things, you'll probably lean more one way than the other. Also, it just kind of works in my brain. I like that each of them are a different color. Like reference is red, Fangraphs is green, Savant's blue. It's like, you know, Perfect. Well, speaking of blue, for those who don't know Jolly,
1: he is a fan of the New York Mets. This series is coming up between the Mariners and Mets. It'll be, at the time of recording us, it'll be next weekend, but here in early September, that Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And when we planned to have you on, originally, all those months ago, I figured, oh, this will be a marquee series come early September. When we got about halfway to that point, I thought, oh both of us are going to be or all of us are going to be miserable sitting on this mm-hmm. podcast talking about our teams and now TJ and I have picked up a little bit of optimism <laughs> in the last few weeks to put it lightly we should but what's your vibe check these J- these days Jolly on where this team's at
2: you know I mean the uh, the band-aid has been ripped off, which I'm actually I'm actually pretty grateful for because I've, I've watched a lot of Yankee fans go through um, the crumbling of their own hope when their team Didn't buy, didn't sell, and kind of just stuck in it. Um, Steve Cohen and the front office kind of cut the string on my fandom. They said, hey, come back next year. This year's kind of a wash. Uh, So I've kind of just been watching passively and a little bit leisurely. And it's also opened the door for me to watch a lot of other teams that I didn't watch a ton of last year because the Mets won 101 games. And one of those teams is your Seattle Mariners, who have been playing a lot better uh, of of recent. And um, I've had some spots on baseball today. So I've kind of really had to brush up on my knowledge of what's going on. And the team's just hitting, man. The, the Mariners figured out how to hit again. I mean, it's, it obviously starts and ends with Julio, uh, but that whole lineup is back above an uh, 100 OPS plus, which is exactly where you want to be. And uh, I really liked that. Uh, I forget who, who posed the question, if it was us or somebody else, um, but they asked uh, what, big three or what rotation are you most scared of or you know think is the most fearsome going into the playoffs i saw a lot of seattle mariners replies man because you got a special three up there with castillo kirby and gilbert um so i kind of dodged the question by talking about your team pretty much instantly and <laughs> yeah, the mets are the mets they'll they'll be back next year and let's see if they can make some noise then but i will be going to the state and watch the mariners play for sure
0: the way you described watching the Mets, you did just describe how most people watch the Mariners for the 20 years prior to us doing yeah. this. So, yeah. uh, well-versed, I would say. <laughs> we 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 know what, we know what it's like. Mm-hmm. Do you have a three-year assessment of Steve Cohen?
2: Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, because anyone who says, you know, bring back the Wilpons, whatever, Steve Cohen hasn't changed a thing or instantaneously wrong. You shouldn't even entertain an argument with them. <laughs> Um, he hasn't been perfect, and I, I think a lot of people will want to put him on a pedestal already because he had a great season last year. He's made a lot of mistakes, you know. In 2021, there was a ton of mistakes between, you know, Jared Porter getting hired, Zach Scott getting moved to a position of power, and those guys really fumbling those opportunities in pretty gross ways. Um, but there's been a lot of progress, I think, and they made a smart business decision this year with this team because this team was not going anywhere, and I think a lot of fans could have told you that. And they made the smart business business decision to not bet and rely on hope and rather you know, use a proven strategy, which is selling off and garnering prospects for the future. And uh, their farm system's looking a lot better, and there's a lot of guys to get excited about now. And I think that past ownerships either waited too long to sell or sold to the wrong people, and the Mets have never had a fire sale that I consider as successful as the one we've had this year. Obviously, we have to wait for the results to kind of pan out to see where those guys end up at. Um, but I think that there's much reason for optimism. I think the core is going to be intact. The guys that you love to root for, Alonzo, Nemo, Lindor, all those. And uh, some young talent will get infused into it, plus all the spending spree that Steve Cohen will probably go into this offseason once again. Um, so I, I'm not super worried. I think he's done a good job so far. I don't think he's going to be able to deliver on the three to five years, let's win a World Series kind of thing. And to be honest, I never really thought that was going to happen because you never think you're going to win a World Series until you do. Um, so I think at, at this point, I I'm very comfortable with where we're at. I, I trust him at the helm, uh, but it's a process, man. And you guys know that firsthand to, to build a successful team through and through, it takes many, many years and the right people in charge and just the right amount of moves to be made.
0: We come from a fan base who thinks the Mariners don't spend enough money. And you come from the fan base that has spent the most money ever. Yeah. Is it possible to spend too much money? Has Steve Cohen maybe been a little too aggressive, whipping out his checkbook to to sign older guys and and try and supplement the roster that way.
2: Yeah, I mean there there is a there is a line. I think uh, I I don't know if if we're there yet. And I do really appreciate ownership admitting mistakes and using the money they spent to basically essentially buy prospects, which was the popular phrase being thrown around at the Mets sell off. Um, and I do think the Mariners could stand to spend a little bit more. Although I I do think they did a good job locking down Castillo. They locked down J Rod. There are more pieces I think they need to, you know, get secure, but that's a good start. Um, as for the Mets, I don't, I think they're going to keep spending like they have, like drunk sailors, because I think Steve Cohen has the money and he doesn't care. And he's, he's a relentless man on a mission right now. Uh, and the only way to really legitimize this team is to get them in the dance and get them far in the dance. Uh, so he's going to keep spending, man. I mean, the free Asian crop is not as star studded as it was last year. So I, I don't think it'll be the same, you know, spending spree that we saw last season and the season before. Uh, but I I would be uh, I would be lying if I didn't expect you know Steve Cohen to open up the checkbook again.
1: Okay, you're talking about spending money. You also mentioned Pete Alonzo a minute ago. Is he staying in town? Because there's all these
2: rumors swirling around right now. I mean, he's gotta right. I I, I this is really the only part of this year that has really perplexed me. Um, all the moves they made, I, I pretty much agreed with in trading Verlander, trading Scherzer. Uh, but training Alonzo, I mean, the, the package has to be substantial. I mean, this is a guy that's on pace to not just break every franchise record, but shatter every franchise record offensively in, in Mets history, a team that's been around for 60 years. Uh, to think that he's going to be that easily replaceable, uh, is, is a tall task. I mean, we, I've seen teams do it in the past. If you remember the, the Rangers traded Mark to they got a haul back that ended up getting them into the World Series back to back years. Um, but it's rare, man. and uh, Prospects, you really you really never know, even with the best ones. Uh, so for Pete Alonzo to be dealt, it would have to be a surefire deal. And if you were going to get that deal, it probably was going to happen at this deadline when he had a year and a half of control. Now you're approaching next year, and if you do try to entertain a trade for him again, he's going to be a rental at that time. And so Whatever value you get back probably won't be as much. Plus, if you trade him, he's probably not going to want to sign back here because you're the team that just traded him. So I think the Mets are going to try and work towards an extension this offseason. But if not, Pete Alonso might have the contract year of all contract years next year and make Steve Cohen really open up the checkbook.
0: Why wouldn't they sign him?
2: I mean, it's a it's a number of reasons. I, th- I think one is that they project him being a DH in the future. He'll be entering free agency when he hits age thirty, which is always kind of scary in the baseball realm. Um, and you know, power tends to wane as you get older in age. But Pete Alonso is not just any power bat; he's a very special power bat—a guy that can hit you fifty any season if he stays healthy. He might even do it this year in what's been a down year for everybody. Um so in terms of, of them entertaining that trade, maybe it's just because they have a lot of large contracts on the books already. They have Lindor for the next however many years, Nimo for the next eight years. Um if they don't view Alonzo as a pure part of that core, then the right course of action right now would be to trade him. But I just think he's a guy that you can supplement with other great offensive bats in the lineup and really make a powerhouse of an offensive team with him and Lindor at the center of it. Um, So I I still don't understand a lot of it. I think it got leaked out by opposing teams, specifically the Brewers, because I think the Mets are headhunting some of the guys in their front office. So it kind of makes sense that they would want to deter that. Whatever point stands. I I, I think the Mets trading Alonzo is like trading, you know, Tom Seaver. I know it's a, a bit of an exaggeration, but you're trading a guy that has a chance to be on the Mount Rushmore of your team's history.
0: That might be some other things that people forget in terms of Steve Cohen weaponizing his money. It's like he's not just buying players. David Stearns, I uh, saw your tweets about, it. I mean, he has really rebuilt Milwaukee and turned them into a really a, a pitching factory alongside yeah. a, a really solid winning team in a, in a low middle market, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, now you have unlimited resources, go ahead. Yeah. Like, the, 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 sky's, the sky's the limit for you, so...
2: I mean, especially when you consider what kind of team the Brewers were before he came around along with Craig Council and the other guys. I mean, that was a team that if they snuck their way into the NL Central crown, that's considered a really successful season. Now they're a winning team every year. I think they're going to win their fourth division title in the last like six years or something like that. Um, they haven't gotten the big one yet, obviously. And I, I just don't think they spend enough or draft well enough to really ever get there unless they get some kind of amazing player. Uh, So if I'm a guy like David Stearns, maybe I am thinking about, okay, well, I can do more if I have more resources. Maybe I do want to jump ship and see what else I can do with my maximum amount of potential. Uh, But it's a big jump because it's a big city with a lot of big expectations that have not been met yet.
1: It's why I was always fascinated by why Billy Bean never was interested in taking that Mets job because he was offered it a few years ago, but he didn't want to leave. And I always figured with the system he's used his whole career or nearly his whole career paired with the money he'd be given to spend in New York. I always thought somebody like that might be interested in the Mets job. So maybe somebody like Stearns would think about it.
2: Yeah. I mean, there was that whole rotating door of nobody wanted the GM job, which was pretty odd. I mean, I think it was the most publicized the GM hunt had ever been. Um, But yeah, it's a tall task. I think the Mets have developed a pretty poor reputation over the years of mismanagement and not allocating resources properly and mistreating players. So I get people's general aversion to wanting to work with them even under this new regime. But that's that's part of this whole process of Steve Cohen trying to reestablish this team is to get people to trust in the process again, which, you know, last year was a huge success. This year was a major step backwards and it's going to take more time to rebuild that.
1: I've got one last Pete Alonso question for you. Before the entire explanation came out, what was your first reaction when he chucked that Mason Wynn baseball into the stands?
2: <laughs> I actually, I wasn't watching the game live because the games don't really matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I only saw the clip hours later and all the outrage. So I saw, I read the outrage first and I was like, what did he do? Because he's done a lot of stupid shit in the past <laughs> in terms of just like saying the wrong thing to the media, all that and then I just see him shake the ball and wail it into the stands and my honest reaction was that it was absolutely hilarious obviously I felt better <laughs> yeah. that Wynn got the ball back because you know that's, that's a massive me- memento and if that gets lost that's a way bigger deal but once I found out that the thing was secure I just thought Pete Alonso would really be the only guy to do this and he of course apologized profusely in post game comments uh, the people that love to hate him that was perfect ammunition for them but the people that I think love to see him be an absolute goofball and sometimes a little bit of a doofus. Uh, that was also perfect ammunition.
0: So everyone in the state of Georgia?
2: Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> you talked about you're going to go to this Mariners-Mets series when they play. And yeah. you've talked about you've watched a lot of Mariners baseball. We've heard that a lot from more national people over the last year or two. It's, oh, I like to watch the Mariners a lot. This is a fun team to watch. How did you get so attached to watching them all of a sudden over the last couple of years?
2: Uh, for me, it actually it actually goes back a little bit further to um, the Robinson Cano, Nelson Cruz, Kyle Seager teams that I think it was either 2014 or 2016 where they nearly got into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And I followed them a lot that season because the Mets weren't really doing anything. Um, and I've always, I don't know, I've always had an attachment to them. I think it's because of the revolving door of like iconic players that they've had uh, between Griffey and Ichiro and King Felix. Um, but this is easily the most complete Mariners team, even, you know, comparing last year too, this is the most complete Mariners team I've ever seen uh, defensively, offensively, starting pitching, bullpen, you name it. I really do think this team can go toe to toe with anybody. I think the standing uh, that they have right now is only really an indicator of how poorly they were playing before, because if you give this team another month, uh, I really do think they could take the American League West. And um, I, I, it's exciting for Seattle fans because, you know, you I think anybody who watches a team go through a drought like that is inclined to root for them. Like when the Mets were in the playoffs in 15, I was watching the American League playoffs and thinking, "Wow, this Royals team is awesome. Like they're really easy to root for." And then we had to play them in the end, and suddenly I hated them because they were b- much better than us. And I think a lot of teams are going to watch the Mariners and say, "Damn, they're a lot of fun. They're a lot of fun to watch play." And then they're going to have to watch their team play them and go, "Oh shit, like now I'm going to despise this team a little bit." Uh, because that's that's the next step for the Mariners. And for them to become a little bit more legit of a franchise in the twenty twenties, uh, they're gonna have to start taking names and winning big playoff series. And I think last year was a huge step in the right direction. You make it to the dance, you win a playoff series, you really go toe-to-toe with the Astros. I know it's a sweep, but all those games are close. Now, I really do feel like this is a team that's better than the Astros, that's better than the Rangers really doesn't have a lot of teams in front of them and could go and really make some noise, especially if they get the right bracket with wherever they fall, uh, seating wise. Uh, they're a lot of fun to watch right now is the short of it.
0: This is going to be a good place to debunk something that happened on the Peacock broadcast the over the weekend. So you live about as far away from Seattle as possible. Probably. Yeah. And I forget who it was mentioned on the, on the Peacock broadcast right at the start. Uh, it might've been on the pregame show said that man, Julio Rodriguez, imagine how much more exposure he'd get if, if he played somewhere else in a, in, a, in a bigger market. Do you think his exposure is a problem? The fact that he plays nearly in Canada with you being all the way in the, in the metropolis of New York?
2: Not at all. I think if you're East Coast or West Coast, your marketing is going to be there. It's different for guys in the Central. Like I think if Cody Bellinger is having this massive redemption season for like the Yankees or something or the Red Sox, it's a way bigger deal than I think some people are making it out to be. But J-Rod, I mean, when we went to Seattle, he was his face is plastered everywhere. He's in T-Mobile ads. Uh, he was all over the place, not to mention that the All-Star game was in Seattle, obviously. Um, but in terms of, you know, I mean, Ichiro was a, a global phenomenon when he was around. King Felix was widely regarded as the best pitcher. They played for the Mariners. They didn't even play for good Mariners teams. They were just great on those teams themselves. Um, so I, I, I really don't agree with that because I actually, I really enjoyed my time in Seattle. It was my first time going this year. I thought it was a great city. And I think that it's really cool that a player of his caliber, uh, that young, knew that he wanted to be there for the rest of his career, or at least the prime of his career, uh, signing that big deal.
1: It is interesting that that's still a narrative, and maybe there'd be a little bit more exposure if a player like that is on the East Coast, but just a little bit. It's not like Otani doesn't have his exposure. It's not like Mookie Betts doesn't have his exposure. It's not like the West Coast is some like. Far off foreign land. These guys are still all over the place.
2: Exactly. Totally agree.
1: I've got one last Mets question for you before we transition a little bit, and That's I've started to, I've started to circulate back to this over and over over the last couple of years because I figured it was some fake storyline, but I've seen you tweet about it. Our friend Giraffe Neck Mark, who's now been on this podcast, has tweeted a bunch about it. I've seen a lot of Mets fans tweet about this, so I've, I've got to ask: Does Buster only actually hate your franchise? Who
2: the hell knows, man? I I really I, it's so like I know that every journalist is supposed to be unbiased and you know in in that regard, but they were all fans at one point, right? And like you know, when you're a fan, you develop distaste for other teams. I'm not going to pretend that I don't have that too, even though I'm also supposed to be unbiased in some capacity. I think Buster only hates the Mets. I think he hates other teams too, but I do think that he definitely hates the Mets. Um, and I think it, you know what you know. What I always remember a lot of people remember recent stuff. I will always remember him telling Mets fans um, that he would bet the family farm that George Springer was going to our team to play center field, and then the next day he signed with the Blue Jays on a six-year deal, uh, because I think he just did that to get our hopes up, and I won't ever forgive him for it. Even though, you know, Nemo's been great and Springer's been fine, uh, that got my hopes up, and it pissed me off.
0: This podcast is represented well, though, by each having a team that a national reporter hates. Have you seen, have you, does it, does it seem to you that John Heyman hates any teams? Because to us, it Mm. it appears that he, he
2: makes it a point to,
0: yeah, I think so.
2: I don't, you know, I don't know what team John's a fan of. Um, I think he, he hates the Yankees a little bit, which is where Arson Judge came from. Really? Yeah, I think, I think so. Um, I don't know. I I'll have to look into that. Yes um,
0: seems kind of miserable, to be honest. Oh well, yeah seems like he
2: hates I can, a lot. That of I, can agree with. I think a lot of the major <laughs> guys are just miserable yeah. at this point. They've had the jobs forever
1: yeah. that that is a storyline out here, just just i guess f y i Mariners fans fully believe, not just us, but the fan base in general thinks, oh, John Heyman hates this franchise.
2: well, you know that's not, you don't really want him to like your franchise, you know <laughs> no. that's, that's
1: probably fair. <laughs> You know, you've been in the media world for a few years now. I mean, you started your YouTube channel. I mean, I, I guess that's where you really got your start. And when we met you during All-Star Week, you were telling us how I didn't go to school for sports media. I didn't really think this was going to be my path, or anything like that. But how did you start your YouTube channel? Because it's really grown over the years.
2: I appreciate it, man. Um, yeah, we, we had a couple great conversations when we met at the brewery in Seattle, which was awesome. Thank you to anyone who's listening that was also there. We had a great time. Um, for me, it, w- it was, um, I was working uh, a tutoring job. I was actually working two jobs in college. Uh, the pandemic hit, so everything got kind of paused. And I used to be a playwright. I used to write a ton, but I used to write primarily short plays. Um, and when no one was putting on plays because COVID was happening, I had to kind of shift my writing itch towards something else. And I always watched baseball. I actually didn't have any friends in college that watched baseball, so I never talked about it with anybody. Um, so that was a really good way to, to kind of use it as an outlet because baseball also wasn't happening at the time. So I thought, Oh, what a, what a great way to engage with other people. Cause they're probably in the same boat as I am. I'll just throw it out into the nether and see what I can find. Um, writing articles does not go great, especially when you're starting from the ground up. Uh, so I just tried my hand at iMovie to see what I could throw together. Um, and a big part of it was just listening to other people and reading other blogs and seeing what, what narratives they came up with and trying to mimic those. Uh, and it only took five or or six videos because I think everyone was just looking for the same kind of content. Uh, before one of my videos really took off, and then the channel took off from there. Uh, but it's a grind, man. Especially that first year. I think I was at one point I was uplo- uploading three videos a week, uh, all of them at least eight minutes to hit that threshold, and it was it was a ton of time consuming. But I really really loved it, and I still do. Um, and it's been nice to be with John Boy Media to help kind of like diversify what I do so now I'm I'm down to one video a week and I do trivia videos and podcasts and all that other stuff. Uh so it's great to kind of be involved in every capacity in terms of baseball media but I'd be lying if I said this is what I thought I was going to be doing, you know, from 2019 to now. Uh it's it's been a big time roller coaster that's really only gotten started, which is pretty interesting. What do you think is
0: something that you and John Boy Media fill in the media space that wasn't there before?
2: Ah oh, that's a good question uh i I don't think a lot of people proclaimed that jungle media is like trying to save baseball and i I don't think that's the case i think it i think w- part of what makes our our content great is that it's a mix of fan perspectives and established a- uh analyst perspectives and also former athletes and I think those are like three key voices in sports commentary and when you're able to bring that all together uh you can get some really interesting conversation out of it. Uh, But also the fact that we don't take ourselves too seriously. Like, I don't don't think that we think of ourselves as baseball journalists uh, in any real capacity. Uh, But, you know, we've taken advantage of a lot of great opportunities to work with great people and very smart people. And uh, I'm glad that a lot of people have been along for pretty much the entire ride at this point uh, to watch it all go down. Um, But I mean, the fact that I get to chat with Chris Rose or Trevor Plouffe once a week is, is a blessing and it's helped me learn a lot and I get a lot better at what I do. And I think a lot of people listen in and recognize that. And that's really cool. What does
0: a guy like Chris Rose bring to that? I mean, talk about like a superstar media personality.
2: Yeah. He, um, I remember the first conversation I had with him, I think I fawned a little bit too much or it was a little too starstruck. Cause that was a guy I watched non-intentional talk all the time. And uh, he definitely helps you in getting to take yourself a little bit more seriously and feel a little bit more confident. Um, so after a few episodes of baseball today, where we worked together for the first time, uh, I found myself more engaged in conversation, willing to say more, willing to offer my piece. And uh, I think he's really good at bringing that out of his co-host, but also challenging you. And, you know, if you have, if you present an opinion, he's going to contrast it and try and get you to expand on it. And I think that leads to a really great conversation. How did
1: you wind up at John Boy Media after starting this YouTube channel of yours?
2: Uh, so I, I was doing YouTube for, I want to say, probably a year at that point or maybe less than a year. Uh, no, a, a year because it was July, uh, and I had just I had become friends with a lot of people on Twitter. Was trying to collaborate as much as I can just to get my name out there and to network a little bit. Uh, so I worked with other channels like Starcraft Sports and Graphic Mark that you mentioned before. And I had always really enjoyed watching breakdowns, and I would interact with Jimmy and Jake on Twitter. Um, didn't get too much traction there, but I would I would DM once in a while with Jimmy. And one of the times I DM'd, he happened to just reply and say, hey, you live in the New Jersey area, right? We're in the Bronx. We'd love to have you at the office just to hang out for a day. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, I, I, It didn't seem like a job opening of any kind. It was, hey, this is a baseball creator. Let's bring him in. Let's do some content. And I was like, that's perfect. That's all I need right now. Uh, and then at the end of that day, they asked me if I wanted to join the team. And obviously, it was an instant yes. And uh, from there, it's been pretty amazing. And how did the
1: nickname Jolly Olive form? I mean, I know Oliver is your last name, but where does Jolly stem from?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, had, uh, I, t- I told the story a few times, but I made my first video, completed it, was really proud of it. Obviously, it, it hasn't aged great, but it was my first one, so I was, I was very excited about it. And I wanted to upload it as soon as possible, but I still didn't have a channel name, and I could not, for the life of me, think of one. And I did, for some reason, I don't remember why. I didn't want to do something with the word baseball in it, uh, because I was thinking, well, if I ever want to trademark this, it might be hard to, if it has the word baseball in it. I don't know why I was thinking that. But Jolly Olive was a nickname that I had in middle school uh, from a girl I had a crush on. And I don't know why I remembered it, but I was like, you know what? It'll make for cool marketing. I can make the channel green. That's my favorite color. I'll just throw an olive in the logo. That's easy. Bam. If I feel like changing it later, I can just change it. And then, little did I realize things would skyrocket from there. Now I can't change it, so I'm pretty much pigeonholed into it. But I, I think I like it now.
0: Now, one of the notable things about John Boy Media is your warehouse blitzball games. Which I don't know, did they sell you on that? The first time you went in there was the was the warehouse there yet?
2: The warehouse was not there yet. I, I think it was it was only an inkling because when I was there, I was in the Bronx, so the alley was actually still in use. Uh, but I I do remember the day where they told us we weren't allowed to use the alley anymore and the panic that set in in that room of like where are we going to play now uh was palpable but yeah the the warehouse i got to kind of watch come to life which was really cool so
0: one of your defining moments at john boy media is your home run you hit off your boss jimmy i mean Henry, right. can you describe that feeling the the just the uh, the the matter of of i got you
2: yeah i mean uh it was it was funny because What a lot of people forget is that before we went into bracket play, there was two regular season games, and then the top seeds got to pick who they played. Um, So I was with a really good pitcher, Drew Davis, who pitches in Major League Wiffle Ball, um, and he was able to allow no runs. So we were able to win one game, and then we lost one game in extra innings. So I believe we were the two seed. And a lot of people thought we were going to pick one team, but I told Drew I had no hits at this point. And I was like, if you want me to hit... I think we need to pick Jimmy and Jake because I think I can catch up to their speed, but not anybody else's. And Drew didn't like the idea, but he let me do it because he wanted to see if I could hit and help him out. Uh, So we picked them and everyone kind of like scoffed at it. Like, what are you guys doing? Because they had just come in second in the last Blitzball battle. They were a very good team. Um, But then the decision got validated because I kind of just got real mad in my second at bat, uh, let a violent swing go, and it happened to just connect in the right spot and made a little moment. It was cool. What is it about
0: the Blitzball content that really grabs people? Is it just like a more fun version of a, of a kind of serious game?
2: I think it I think it's um the the backyard spirit and kind of the competitive nature of like siblings playing where like you want to win but you're not taking it too seriously, you're keeping it light. But there is that competitive edge there. And then it's maximized by the production value of it all because the production that goes into warehouse games is insane. And I think without the production value, a lot of people wouldn't care as much. But when you have 12 different camera angles and, and the crowd reactions and jerseys and all this that goes into it, it helps you take it a little bit more seriously as well, as much as seriously as we're taking it. And I think, weirdly enough, one of the, one of the biggest things that a lot of people who compete in the warehouse agree on is the fact that you're you're in there for three days straight and there's no windows means you you kind of you're just living in the warehouse and it's all you really think about and when it's all you think about naturally you want to win more because everyone's there competing for the same thing so I think it's a mix of the production and kind of us taking it as seriously as possible that uh, makes it turn into a really good product.
1: I was going to say when you hit that home run off Jimmy, it wasn't just a whole shrug your shoulders, all right, I was move real. on to the next one thing like was you. Real. You had a nine grade bat flip at least. You're going nuts. I know the Chris Rose and Peter Moreland, Moreland were going nuts, and like they're it just was a whole thing. There.
2: Yeah, kudos to Peter Moreland for saving the call because we we actually we isolated the vocals after just to see what the call was, and it's just Ploof and Rose screaming, and the <laughs> entire, they're just going oh, ah. Oh. And luckily, Peter has the wherewithal to actually put some words out into the sphere, and he ends up putting together an amazing call in the home run, which kind of puts it all together really. I, I think that whole thing is so cool, like TJ was just saying. And now the fact that you
1: guys bring other people from the outside in, like I saw you guys just had the Savannah Bananas in, and all these people are invested in it now. I mean, it, this thing's taken on a life of its own, it seems like, with the warehouse games.
2: Yeah, it's it's really on the ground floor. It's a very cool thing. Um, and I, I, I'm really excited for because there are really fun plans that we have in store for next year that I, I can't divulge yet. Uh, but it's going to get people even more invested in the different games that we have, and I think it's going to be great.
1: Is there anything you still hope to do? I mean, I would assume the answer to this is yes, but things that you still hope to do in your media career moving forward, like, is there anything on your bucket list that you're really itching to do?
2: Uh, you know, it's interesting because I, I, I'm always cautious in terms of setting goals because I never want to be disappointed with where I'm at because I think, you know, whatever opportunity you get, you should take and you should maximize it to the best of your ability. Um, but if you ever get to the point where you're like, I'm, I'm expecting to do this at some point in my life, you might leave yourself disappointed. Um, so I think my my biggest goal is to just continue seizing opportunities and improving myself and uh, trying to diversify my palette. Because I think joining John Boy Media was really, really important in terms of me branching out into other content and networking and meeting other people and taking myself a little bit more seriously. And now I'm just excited for what other opportunities can come through that because you know, five years from now, this cycle may get a little stale and I might want to try something new. And all I can do is just be as ready as possible for those opportunities.
1: Well, that's all been, I mean, that's all awesome. And, and just to watch it from afar and seeing what you guys do from afar and, and like all the unique content, the way you bring fans in, like you you pick niches that for a long time just haven't been tapped in the baseball world. And I think that's what makes John Boy Media so, so unique is it doesn't really stem from anything. It's it's your own idea. I even think about the whole um, not immaculate. I mean, kind of your own version of the immaculate grid before the immaculate grid came out, right, right. and you guys were doing it before it was popular. That like that's your thing.
2: And that's it's really cool to see it kind of take on a life of its own. I, th- I think some people message me and were like, "Hey, are you getting anything for this?" And uh, I wasn't the first to do it. I won't be the last. And I'm just happy to see other people take the idea and continue to breathe life into it because i think it's great that like baseball is so hot right now and like it's the hottest it's been in 20 years and everyone is you know talking about it playing different games enhancing their knowledge getting even nerdier than they were before and for me to have a shred of influence on that i'm I'm very happy to well jack
1: this has been awesome we've loved talking mariners and mets with you we've loved talking about your media career with you and we're looking forward to the series next weekend maybe you're not but we are
2: you know what? It's, it's win-win. Because if the Mets win, cool. If the Mariners win, that means they're one inch closer to that division title. So you know, house money. That's money. Well, this has been awesome. We certainly hope to do it again at some point. Hell yeah, guys. Thank you so much for having me.
1: That conversation with Jolly Olive was awesome. Hopefully you guys got to learn a little bit about him and his journey. And here's to a good series this weekend between the Mets and Mariners. Let's hope the Mariners take two of three. With that, That'll just about wrap up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. You want to listen to the full form podcast, you can do so on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. If you do that, make sure to follow us, download the episode, and give us that five-star review. The reviews and the downloads help us out big time. And it's only a couple extra seconds, guys, so make sure to go do that. Then head over to YouTube, watch us on the video side, subscribe, like, comment, and turn those notification bells on when you head over to the YouTube channel on social media check us out on instagram tiktok twitter and youtube shorts at marine layer pod we've got a bunch more player content coming so stay tuned for that that's tj i'm lyle as always we thank you guys for tuning in we'll talk to you soon